We're all on a journey to reach our full potential and purpose. And no matter where you are on your path, know that we walk together and not alone. At the Mission Leadership Institute, we believe the path to leadership is self-discovery. To support you, we're bringing the most advanced thinkers in the country to help unpack all that we carry with us on this journey in leadership. Before we start, we want our listeners to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber, with the Providence Mission Leadership Institute. We are back with part two of our conversation with Dr. Hamilton. His career is dedicated to working with hospital and physician leaders to build healing cultures within a health ecosystem and healing relationships among all providers. Okay, let's get started by welcoming back Ted. Ted, I want to welcome you back and most grateful for the way that you continue to inspire us and and help us to gain a greater context, I think, of a specific, if you will, essential piece in healthcare, which is the physician. Mm-hmm. My uh, great honor was to walk with the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing for the last 11 years. And now there is a book that has come out uh, in the pandemic, but this has been our first time to really celebrate or launch the book, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, here at this conference. Could you talk a little bit about in your life story, how you saw a need for change in physician wellness and how is we in this enterprise of healthcare in this ecosystem could facilitate in our own core that learning about how to change something that you know needs to be changed? So, um, Martin, you and I both work for uh, faith-based, mission-focused organizations, church-sponsored organizations. And it was about 2004 when the then president of Adventist Health System contacted me and I was living and working in another state then. And he said, we had known each other. In fact, I had reported to him for a period of time. So it wasn't a stranger. But he said, uh, we try to make our mission practical in our organization. So we employ um, several dozen chaplains for our hospitals. We, we utilize uh, imagery and statuary to suggest or indicate that this is a little bit different place than others. We do various kinds of programming around religious holidays to to emphasize that this is a faith-based organization. But, he said, we've never really invested, we've never tried significantly to attract or engage physicians with our mission. So he said, if that's something that intrigues you, go home and write a job description. And that's what I did and sent it back to him, and I'm not sure he changed it at all. Truth is, neither one of us knew exactly what we were talking about. So 
he accepted it, and I went to work with that in mind. And in, in those days, this was almost 20 years ago now, there was very little in the medical literature about healthcare and spirituality, a little bit more about healthcare and religion. Um, I had never heard the word burnout. I, I wouldn't have known what it meant. So, so I decided to visit all of our hospitals. At that time, we had 36 hospitals. And at each of them, I, I made appointments with the CEO and the chief nursing officer and the head spiritual leader and tried to see the physician who was chief of staff at each hospital. And I asked them all the same question. Tell me about doctors at your place. I mean, it was just about as open-ended as it could be. Again and again and again, I heard words like this. Doctors are unhappy. They are disheartened about the practice of medicine, disappointed about where it's taken them, and they are not even willing to recommend a career in medicine to their children. And I heard that again and again. And I came back and, and told Tom, the man who had hired me, if we ever want to have an opportunity to engage doctors with mission, we must do something to fill their cups because they're very empty. We named, we chose to name this venture that we were setting about as physician well-being. I had not even heard that term before, but that's the term we used. And um, so we set out to think about how we could lift doctors' shoulders. We established a, a counseling, coaching program for doctors who were running into a rough spot or had their back up against the wall. And it was confidential. The first few visits were free. Um, it didn't go on their record anywhere. And before too long, they had to hire a second professional counselor because of the volume that it was generating. So then in addition to that, we, we pulled together some um, small groups of doctors for focus groups. And we would lay out before them what I've just told you. So you know your lives, you know what the challenges are, how, how can we help, what can we do? And we organized, I don't know, two or three of those weekend retreats and we just picked their brains. And, and then we just started, we set out to do things. And um, that's, how it, that's how it got started. That's been a long time ago now. And, and we know a lot more about it than we used to with good surveys and um, good statistics, we still don't have a great handle on what to do about it, to be totally honest with you. Um, some of the things seem to work for some of the people some of the time, but we have not been successful in making a significant dent on the frequency of physician burnout. Um, about half the doctors in this country by their own admission on vote valid surveys, about half of them will uh, indicate that they have experienced at least one 
of the three cardinal characteristics of burnout in their own lives. Half of our doctors. And and it went the percentages went up during the two years that we've experienced of COVID. And the numbers that are being reported now are higher than they've ever been. So we've got a lot to do. We've still got a lot to learn. And um, and it's it's been rewarding work. But we're not home free on this one yet. And you really, in terms of the trajectory of this journey, uh, speak about what we're facing, this great barrier hill of the pandemic. And now a lot of us, especially those who might be listening, whether you're in healthcare or you're in the hospitality industry, which is seeing a high rate of mm-hmm. increase of people wanting to be a part of it, and now a low increase a decrease with professional services and business and healthcare. What are the skills that people need now that they might not have thought about pre-pandemic that now are surfacing, even as you look out into that room today of physicians and administrators and uh, those who want to impact meaning and purpose in a culture, what would you have us work on? I'll approach it from two perspectives. One is the perspective of the individual doctor. And what can I as a doctor do if I recognize that I'm experiencing some of these symptoms? And um, part part of the issue is it takes recognition and doctors aren't real good at recognizing symptoms in themselves. Doctors, including me, we tend to deny, to ignore, to overlook our own symptoms. And when we can't do that anymore, we just self-diagnose and self-treat. And when when that doesn't work, we stop a a colleague in the hallway and we say, you know what, I've got a friend who has this problem. (laughs) A friend. And when that doesn't work, then we go to see a real doctor. So, so part of it is being willing to accept that a doctor can be a patient and, and being willing to address that in a, in a responsible way. Another, another issue in regard to that is that we... Um, We often, when we're having symptoms, think about the physical aspects, the mental aspects, anxiety or depression that goes with that. It's not at all unusual to think about the social impact of that. Um, Am I able to do my work? Has my family noticed anything going on that's of concern? How about my colleagues? Do they... Would they like me if they knew what's going on? And, and many, there have been many pages written and many suggestions about how doctors can take better care of themselves. Having said that, hardly anyone outside the religious community is willing to recognize a significant spiritual component to whatever might be going on. And, and from the get-go, 
and, and your organization is much the same as mine in this regard, the spiritual aspects of care are, are right on a par with physical, mental, social. We don't make any excuses about that. It's just who we are, and it's what we believe, and it's the way we provide health care and practice medicine. And we believe that it's value, significant value added to, to addressing the issue. So that, that, that's kind of a start. Um, doctors, doctors are, by and large, caring, caregivers, careful. They, they are caring people. But sometimes we get our priorities for caring um, kind of mixed up. What comes first? Is it patient care? Is it self-care? Is it family care? Is it all of the above? How do I prioritize? Should collegial care be in there? Do I have a responsibility for my sister or brother doctor uh, in this whole regard? So I think, I think that in addition to highlighting the spiritual element, if we think about my responsibility to take care of me, to think about what my colleague might be going through, to, to be sure that I am being fair to my family, even if that means cutting back on some work. So I don't know if that's a direct answer to your question. It, it gets at what we're talking about and why we're here today is that there are multiple ways that we can look at care. And one of the things about our own selves is discovering that self-discovery, what is the care that I need, which is different. Mm -hmm. for everyone. Yeah. And there's an awareness journey here that I think you're talking about that you have gone through in your life. And I noticed that today we're talking a lot of compassion mm -hmm. at these conferences. Mm -hmm. I've just returned from a time with a wonderful uh, human being who his whole life is service. And now what we heard today is that care can be even greater if you have that heart to know what it is as a giver, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I guess that's where I wanna almost end our time, and it doesn't end here, but as that patient with Micah was on the margins, they weren't seen, yet you got on a vac vacation, then you left that, mm -hmm. you got on a plane, and then you went with that patient and got them the best care, and then you brought them home, Ted. Mm. You brought them home when they went to another place, a, a God, a, 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 an entity that we're all hoping to get towards. How do we find that compassion amidst all of what the pandemic has given us so that we can greater serve those on the margins and not say, I just don't have the time? Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's almost an imponderable question. Uh, we talked a little bit about my time practicing in North Carolina. When I went into practice there, I, I charged $8 for an office visit. I charged $250 for full OB care from first visit through delivery. And if it was a little boy, I would throw in a circumcision as part of 
Um, Medicaid for an office visit paid 60% of your fee. So I got $4.80 for each Medicaid patient. And um, I had a family uh, who were expecting a baby and he was a beekeeper. They had precious little cash. So he came to me and said, how, how can we pay you? I said, well, I'll take two beehives. So, so he actually showed me how to build those beehives. You could order kits and he showed me how to build the beehives. And then when the time came, he, he brought two swarms and populated those two beehives. And I, I took care of those bees and harvested the honey for a couple or three years and, and just really enjoyed that. But, but we have to be willing to take care of the haves and the have-nots. And often, frankly, the most rewarding care is for the have-nots, caring for the have-nots. It's um, sometimes the expectations of those who have are higher than those who have not. And the expression of appreciation may be less than. So, so there, are, there, there are many unseen blessings and rewards for caring for those who have no other place to go and an inability to pay in a traditional sense. <clears throat> we didn't get rich in North Carolina, but we're rich for the experiences that we had there. Ted, we're rich for you and the stories that you bring and helping us to go out onto the margins and not be scared, whether that be physicians, uh, whether it be beekeepers, uh, whether it be the parents of Micah, you have given us a lot to think about today and I wanna to thank you for that. Well, thank you, it's been a pleasure. I want to thank Ted for joining us and to everyone for listening. To learn more about Dr. Hamilton, go to adventhealth.com slash adventhealth-press slash ted-hamilton. You can find the Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn. A fun fact about Dr. Hamilton is he will always take your call. Over 10 years ago when I was beginning in healthcare, the first phone call I made to understand physician well-being was to Dr. Hamilton. It has been a friendship of a lifetime. Be well.